0: Uh, Over the last few Sundays here at MPC, if you're not regularly here with us, we've been working through a teaching series with a title inspired by Joan Osborne's song from 1995 called What If God Was One of Us? If you're old enough that you were around back then, you'll most likely remember it. Cool song, although maybe a little bit of a one-hit wonder. Uh, It's been covered since then by Prince. It's been covered by the cast of Glee. So, even if you aren't old enough to remember the original, you've probably heard it Joan Osborne's chart rocking question What if God was one of us? Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Just some guy you could bump into without noticing on your daily commute. A follow up question, verse 2 If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it? If seeing meant you'd have to believe. Now other hit songs that year asked slightly more mundane questions like have you ever really loved a woman, Brian Adams? Or didn't dig quite so deep philosophically, you know, like all I want to do is have some fun, Sheryl Crow. But it was a memorable year for music. It was Joan Osborne though who went for the big one. What if God was one of us? Just to refresh your memory, or if it's the first time and you haven't heard it before, here's just a little clip to remind you. goodness. I thought it was famous. Uh, Of course, the thing I wanted to shout at the radio every time the chorus came around and asked the question what if God was one of us? I wanted to say, why don't you have a look at Jesus? Because God has become one of us already. I mean, that's the claim of Christianity anyway. That that is the claim of Christmas. That is the idea that Christians have been calling the incarnation for the last 2,000 years or so. And This Christmas I want to ask you to stretch your minds just a little to consider that maybe a little more deeply because since the earliest times Christians have been thoroughly convinced that God indeed was one of us, that he did have a name and that name was Jesus of Nazareth, that he was in a sense just a stranger in a stable, just a a normal looking guy, so ordinary that you could miss him on a crowded bus. Did you notice in our first Bible reading Matthew's Gospel puts it this way and before I highlight it can I acknowledge right up front this this is an astonishing story. This is an account that's been in a sense one of the pillars of Western culture and thought and yet these days it's treated as entirely improbable. You're maybe filing it in your own mind somewhere you know just to the left of the Easter Bunny and slightly above the Tooth Fairy and I've got to say to you If you weigh it on the basis of whether this is the kind of thing that happens every day, it's not one of them. You've got Joseph, again, this was our first reading, a betrothed engaged to be married to Mary. And suddenly, without any intervention on his part, he didn't touch her. She is pregnant with this crazy story that an angel spoke to her and and told her that she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now if you think believing that's a big ask, imagine what Joseph's thinking. And so Matthew chapter 1 verse 9 and he's planning to divorce her quietly. He could have had her publicly shamed for her infidelity but he's a nice guy, just heartbroken I guess. And so instead of exposing it publicly he's ready to just let her go, a quiet pre-marriage divorce. But pick up in verse 20 and And take a look at what happens next. After he's considered this, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus, which means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. And then down in verse 22 Matthew says all this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which literally in the original Hebrew means God with us. And look the prophet Isaiah actually did say that hundreds of years before Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. This baby she is carrying A conception with no human intervention. Multiplying cells in a womb. God with us. God somehow breaking through the barrier from creator to creation. The the author of everything stepping into his own story as a character. This is going to be God with us. And so, so when he's born, these magi, these academics from the East... They follow the famous star and they're they're looking in Jerusalem for this one born to be king of the Jews. And it's no no surprise that it says a few verses later, uh, we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Which when they finally find him in Bethlehem is exactly what they do with great joy. Just a few verses later. See, right from these opening words of Matthew's gospel, there is no doubt that we're being briefed on the fact that God has become one of us. Joan Osborne, in the opening lines of a song, she says, If God had a name, what would it be? Would you call it to his face if you're faced with him in all his glory? So far, Matthew's made the point that, well, he does have a name. And that name is Jesus, which means God saves. You can call him Emmanuel, if you like, God with us. And for these first wise magi who meet him, when they come face to face with him, well, I'm not sure what they might have called him. But one thing is for sure, they fall flat on their faces and they worship him. And yet here's the thing. If you were there and you saw him, the reality is... He's just an ordinary baby in every way. That's how it looks, in the most humble of circumstances. You know, in, in Christmas cards and famous old paintings and stained glass windows, you might see him with a glow behind his head. The reality is he didn't have one. He just looks like a normal kid. Grows up, looks just like a normal teenager. Gets a bit older, just a normal guy. You could sit next to him on the bus. Wouldn't look twice if he rode past you on a donkey. Later on in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2, it says, he became fully human in every way. And yet at the same time, God with us. Now, I don't know if that plays with your head. It should. Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he is absolutely convinced of it. It is the whole reason he's writing And yet, of course, God, you'd think, if you've studied any philosophy at uni, maybe, or theology, God, if he even existed from from a philosophical point of view in Greek thought, which, again, has largely shaped Western thought, God is meant to be defined, isn't he, by all those complicated-sounding Latin words with omni in front of them. You know the words? And look, theology books still talk in these terms, that God is omnipresent, that he's present everywhere. The Old Testament says in... In the Psalms, if I go to the highest mountain, he's there. If I go to the depths of the sea, he is there, omnipresent. That God is omnipotent. That's another one of the big Latin words, that he's all-powerful, that there's no rock so big that he can't move. That God is omniscient, all-knowing. That he invented the Higgs boson before Higgs even thought of it. And besides that, he knows your mind better than you do. Besides which, the Greek philosophers added that he's immutable, which means unchanging in, in any way, because perfect is perfect. That he is impassable, they said, which means he's beyond having passions, emotionally unstirable. Because otherwise, they said, the Greek philosophers and philosopher, philosophers ever since, otherwise, how could he be perfect? A bit later on, the philosopher Immanuel Kant said in 1775... The wish to talk to God is absurd. We cannot talk to one we cannot comprehend and we cannot comprehend God. In fact, Kant says there's such a huge gap between what he called the numinous, the world of spiritual truth, and God and ultimate reality, if he's even there. Such a big gap between him and anything that our senses can sense or our logic can understand. He says you might as well forget about ever crossing the gap. Stop making the claim, he said, that you can know God or know about him. And yet Matthew here in the first chapter of his Gospel says, but what if God was one of us? Because here he is. Like like an electrical arc, a huge discharge of energy sparking across that unbridgeable gap, one of us. God embodied with a name and a face. Jesus. Because God saves. One worthy of our worship. That is the claim of Christmas. Not just a claim being put there by Matthew in his gospel or, or by me up the front as a fairy tale, but as the ultimate bridging together of heaven and earth. The ultimate divine demotion. The incomprehensible God... Suddenly they're in front of us with little fingers and little toes. So here's a quote I like from from the blog of a guy called G. Shane Morris. Here's the implication. He puts it so well. If what Matthew's Gospel says is actually Gospel truth, forget about the philosophers. He says the point is that Jesus is God, full stop, no ifs and buts. When we talk of Jesus doing, being, or experiencing something, we can talk of God doing, being, or experiencing that thing without qualification, without hesitation. He says that is the full knock-the-wind-out-of-you impact of the incarnation. The immutable God changes. The impassable God feels. The omnipresent God has to travel on the back of a donkey. The omniscient God learns. The self-sufficient God hungers. The immortal God dies. He says anyone who's read the gospel accounts knows this is so. He was not pretending. One of us. Which, if it is true, brings all kinds of implications for us in our own humanity. It it brings a, a dignity to our suffering. And our work, the daily grind, and the dirt under our own fingernails to think that God himself knows exactly what it's like. Your struggles, your temptations, your sickness, your pain, your tears, uh, your tears at the loss of a friend. You know the shortest verse in the Bible? It's famous. Jesus standing at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, and it says, Jesus wept. Real tears running down his face. God tears running down his face. Jesus bruised. Jesus bled. Most especially as he hung and he bled on a cross with with the skin on his forehead torn to shreds by, by a thorn bush woven into a crown with nails hammered through his hands and his feet. The one born as king, God as one of us, despised and rejected and crucified. And yet in doing that and in absorbing the worst of our world, gathering up and taking on himself everything our sin deserved and declaring free forgiveness. What if God was one of us? I know it's an astonishing claim, but the, the claim of Christmas is that he was And that means there is a God who forgives even the worst of our sins. That means there's a God we can know. That means there's a God who can know what it's like to be us and to sympathise from up close. A God who cuts through the abstractions of our philosophy and crashes through all our ideas of wisdom and says, I am here, Emmanuel. Which is great news, I want to say as I finish, it's great news if Christmas for you sometimes isn't great news. Because, you know, the commercial idea of Christmas, the the tinsel idea of Christmas, that it's all about family and festivity and food, well, what if family for you isn't so great? What if family for you is just the place where, as a kid, you were abused? The writer J.L. Hall says... For most of the year, I can tuck my violent childhood and teenage years out of sight. She was abused by her dad. But she says, somehow, not at Christmas. It's the time it all comes flooding back. Maybe it's like that for you. What if you're lonely and there are no invitations to family Christmas dinner, just memories of loss? Or if your family is a broken one like so many others and And so instead of celebrating togetherness, it's just a constant reminder of apartness as you shuffle kids from one extended family gathering to another and don't really fit into any of them anymore. Let me tell you the one thing we do have to celebrate. And that is, that is exactly the world that God himself has stepped into. Mess and all. And he's felt it and he knows it. And because of that, he somehow redeems it. Let me finish this morning with a few words of a revised Christmas carol. We sang before, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, which is nice if that's your Christmas, but what if that's not you? So let me close with this Facebook post from English pastor Sam Albury who puts it this way. He says, O come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated, O come ye, oh come ye to Bethlehem. Because he says Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, for the broken. He says if your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. You can forget about the tinsel if you like. You can stop thinking you have to get everything right before you can get right with God because he is not Santa Claus. He's much more gracious than that. All we need to do is stop pretending long enough to pay a fresh visit to that one who was worshipped right from the start in his absolute divinity, yet his absolute humanity and his absolute humility as well. What if God was one of us?